Often in the Gospels, Christ is adamantly opposed to any grand public manifestation of his identity as a long-awaited Messiah King. You know, for example, in John chapter 6, the beginning of John 6, thousands of people want to make Christ King. They want to carry him off and make him King because they just witnessed and participated in an incredible miracle. 5,000 men, not counting the women and children present, were just fed by Christ with a mere few loaves, which he miraculously multiplied. Not only was it obviously a miracle, it was a miracle which fulfilled messianic prophecies centuries old. What is Christ's response? Well, he flees. He goes up to the mountain alone. He doesn't want these grand public manifestations that he is the long-awaited Messiah King. Fast forward to Palm Sunday and we see really something unique. Christ comes into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But even more than that, this time to fulfill the reality Passover signified, his passion, death, and resurrection. And in this final week of his earthly life, Jesus permits himself to be publicly proclaimed as the long-awaited Messiah King. He rides a donkey, fulfilling the ancient prophecy about the great King. And he rides in a triumphal procession uh, with the crowd shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. David, the great king, remember? Around the same time as Christ's triumphal entrance into the city, there was another procession in Jerusalem. It's been largely forgotten to public, uh, to public mem memory if not history, but it was led by the Roman governor of Judea and Samaria named Pontius Pilate. You see, all the evidence indicates that Pilate had his home and headquarters about 70 miles north of Jerusalem in a place called Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea. Yet, of course, he would have still had to come to Jerusalem on a number of occasions every year. In Passover, a festival in which Israel celebrated their deliverance from slavery to Egypt, certainly counted as one of those occasions. And Pilate would have come in a large show of force meant to deter any would-be revolutionaries hoping to use the Passover as a launching pad for a rebellion against Rome. You know, Pilate would have paraded into Jerusalem with heavy cavalry, soldiers armed to the teeth, and the message would have been clear. The power of Rome is unassailable. Don't even try it. Pilate feared a revolution. And the irony is that a revolution is precisely what would happen in those days. Yet the revolution was not the kind Pilate feared, nor the kind faithful Jews were looking for. Christ didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to overthrow a far more nefarious, far more sinister, far more destructive enemy. One which has assaulted mankind since the fall of our first parents. Sin, death, and the devil. Christ would conquer this threefold enemy in the most paradoxical of fashions. He would win the victory not with the display of power and majesty, but by humbling himself, by becoming obedient unto death, even unto death on a cross. By dying on a cross and rising from the grave, he would set us free, and he would usher into existence an eternal kingdom, an unconquerable empire, 
one infinitely superior to the unassailable might, supposed unassailable might of Rome. Yet Christ doesn't want us to be mere spectators in the drama which unfolds before us this week, and that's really the key. He doesn't want us to be mere spectators. This is one of the reasons why on Palm Sunday we also read the narrative for Christ's passion. For if we want to accompany Christ in his triumph, in his victory, in in his glory as the King of Kings, then we must also accompany him in his passion. That is what we must do this week. We must accompany him in his passion and his journey towards Calvary so we can share in the victory of his empty tomb. The question, though, is how do we accompany our Lord? Well, since most of us, the vast majority of us, can't come to Mass, uh, since most of us can't receive the sacraments right now, that leaves two ways. First and foremost, there's prayer. We can and should pray, and this week more than usual. Now, whether we pray the rosary, whether we pray the stations of the cross, whether we're meditating on the passion from Scripture, uh, you know, we need to dedicate more time this week to prayer. I'm going to be reading and meditating with the second volume of Pope Benedict XVI's uh, Jesus of Nazareth, which is essentially about Holy Week. It goes from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. You know, whatever you decide, make this Holy Week a time to accompany our Lord more in prayer than usual. Secondly, though, we must actively embrace our cross. We must um, embrace our cross and offer it up. What do I mean? Look, unfortunately, we have ample opportunity to brace the cross right now. The, this pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, has taken the lives of many. And sadly, uh, God forbid, uh, but it does seem like the worst is yet to come. Many have lost their lives. Um, more will lose their lives still. More will get sick. Many have lost their jobs. I'm guessing more uh, more of that is to come. And more than a few businesses, I assume, will go under as a result of this pandemic. This pandemic has brought suffering. But whether we are dealing with mundane inconveniences and minor hardships, or whether we're dealing with tragic and heartbreaking suffering, the cross of Jesus Christ gives us hope because it shows us that our suffering need not be meaningless. Our suffering need not be meaningless. For when we offer it up, when we unite it to Christ's suffering, it can become, by the power of God, a font of grace for ourselves and others. It can be this font of grace that's bringing us closer to God and others close to God. By redeeming the world on the cross, Christ redeemed human suffering. And he gave to all human suffering this power to be a vehicle of grace. And so by offering up the suffering we encounter on a daily basis, we are acting as co-redeemers with Christ. We are accompanying him as closely as we can through his passion. You know, I've used this phrase, and I'm sure many of us have heard it before, offer it up. And I'll be honest, growing up, I always thought it was just a snarky thing old, older people said. And I was amazed when I learned uh, that behind it is this wonderful truth about redemptive suffering. And here is the great paradox. When we embrace our crosses and offer them to God, 
uniting them to Christ's suffering on the cross, then our suffering becomes not a drudgery, not an empty struggle, but it becomes lighter because we realize there's a purpose behind it now. My suffering is winning the grace that is helping my friends and family. My suffering is helping me to detach from sin and to grow closer to God. My suffering uh, is helping those I don't even know because I offer it completely and totally to God. You know, how do we offer it up? Well, we simply in prayer say, Lord, I offer you my I offer you my prayers, my works, my joys, my sufferings. You know, take my sufferings. Or maybe when we're going through in the moment some particular suffering, we can say, Lord, take a step back interiorly and say, Lord, I offer this to you. I offer this as a sacrifice to you. If we want to share in Christ's victory and his triumph over sin, death, and the devil, then let us take the opportunity he presents us this Holy Week. Let us accompany him him daily in fervent prayer. And let us resolve to unite our sufferings with him, to offer up the difficulties we all face so that he can transform us into the saints he created us to be.